I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. And now, giving you access to the locker rooms and the minds of the independent scene, here are the curtain jerkers of pro wrestling podcasting. Mike Crockett. Actually, I prefer to be called Maestro. And the kingpin, Brian Malonis. He's the win, and nobody beats him. This is the wrestling podcast about nothing on the New Age Insiders Network. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing on the NAI Network, episode 61, presented by BDARadio.com. There are so many pro wrestling podcasts out there covering every facet of the business. So we went to BDA Radio and said we had a different idea for a podcast. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. They said, what's wrestling podcast about? We said nothing. And thankfully they said, we think you may have something here. So here we are. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring, and joining me as always is a veteran of the New England Independent Matt Wars, the Irresistible Force, the Immovable Object, the Honorable Kingpin, Brian Malonis. Hey, Mike. What's going on? How are you doing, buddy? Good day to you. I'm doing good. You? <laughs> good day to you as well. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I called you the Honorable Kingpin. You're not a judge, even though you do sometimes judge me quite harshly, but uh, you'll be in the house this Friday night at the Lowell Memorial Auditorium, Ring of Honor's pay-per-view, Best in the World. If you uh, don't have your tickets for the Lowell Memorial Auditorium, or if you can't get over here to Lowell, you can get it on pay-per-view, 9 p.m. this Friday night. But uh, more importantly, as far as the Kingpin is concerned, Saturday, the day after, at 6 p.m. in Lowell, the same building, Lowell Memorial Auditorium, international TV tapings, and you might just see your pal Brian participating. Is that correct? That is correct, Mike. That is a factual statement. All right. Make sure you check out them on pay-per-view on Friday, Ring of Honor, and then, of course, Saturday, do your best to get on out to Lowell for the TV tapings. We're going to have a little, uh, probably an informal wrestling podcast about nothing get-together at the Lowell Memorial Auditorium. Yes, so uh, maybe with some special guests from, uh, from the world of... Uh the neighborhood from the neighborhood yes I, i'm hearing that as well so make sure uh, you stay tuned to our social media outlets at the wpan on twitter facebook.com slash the wpan for all details as the day grows closer and then watch ring of honor television for mike crockett holding up his wpan sign <laughs> <laughs> i gotta get that i gotta go get some glitter i gotta get to the store um, <laughs> today on the wrestling podcast about nothing on the nai network we've got your promo about nothing and a whole lot more but first it's going to be part two of steve bradley we're going to be talking about the wfa his company that he began in new england how he helped kind of transform wrestling in the new england area through his promotion through his training his teachings and so much more so let's go right now well to- i don't i don't i don't want to cut you off there mike but i do just want to give uh the audience and any any friends of steve listening just fair warning that we do delve into and we do cover his untimely passing so that's something I think we should give the audience fair warning of. No negativity, no, you know, just we do cover it. and uh, Very honest, frank discussion about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, just, you know, want to put that out there, give people warning, um, you know, as we move towards it. Just be fair warned that, that, we, do, that we do talk about it. And, uh, you know, it does get sad at times. But ultimately, I think um, we finish it off very nicely. Now let's go to uh, Brian Fury, Alex Arion, talking about... Steve Bradley. 
All right, we are back here at the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, and if you haven't heard last week's episode, episode 60, the wrestling podcast about nothing, highly recommend you go and check that out. That is part one of our talk about Steve Bradley, and we are back here, and we are joined once again by the owner of the New England Pro Wrestling Academy, Brian Fury. Hi. Good to see you once again. Good to see you again, Mike. We came back another week. You know, it's weird. I, I go like months without seeing you because you just disappear, and then I see you in bursts. There you go. Isn't that great? Yes. Like, <laughs> seeing you is like uh, bananas. They come in bunches. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. And also joining us once again is New England's unsung hero, the greatest wrestler out of New England ever. Wow. Alex Arion. Oh, I thought you were going to me. <laughs> I'm looking at Brian Otis, so like, wow, what a buildup. Wow, thanks for that amazing introduction. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, how was you guys' week? Did you have a busy week? Uh, <laughs> Everything was good? Yeah. <laughs> weather, weather. Finally, summer's here. Yes, thank you. It, it is uh, great to have you guys back here to talk about Steve a little more. Good uh, to be back. It was uh, an amazing talk. Absolutely tremendous, and really appreciate uh, your kind of insight on Steve's career. Is WWE release and now we're at the point where he comes back to new hampshire and was it the wrestling school that came first the wrestling school came first but shortly after we opened the school he wanted to run shows i remember it was right before christmas time in 2002 that he said to me he goes all right al you know everybody around here you know everybody from the area you know who's good you know who's worth using let's come up with a roster let's start looking at buildings and start, well, let's, let's, let's do something. Let's cause he's like, cause I want to run shows. I'm like, sounds good. Let's do it. Um, so it was pretty, pretty soon after, uh, he took, cause he was released in July. He was released in July. This is, this is December. So in the interim, he was going down to Massachusetts a lot cause that's where his girlfriend lived. So he'd go and hang out with her and visit her with her. Um, and then come back up home and stuff. But he didn't really, want to do any kind of wrestling for a bit because he was still trying to heal up his knee and stuff like that and i think he just needed to break but he would always at that time anytime i could get a tape of one of my matches or something like that he'd always help me out critiquing it and doing that kind of thing so he was still involved in that way for the for that you know five six month period but um for the most part he was just kind of didn't really want to do much with wrestling he just wanted to right. take a little breather you know you're saying at like the same time the the school and WFA were starting up? Yeah, uh, I want to say the school opened in October, November of 2002. I'm kind of shady on the timeline See, there. it's hard for me because I didn't... This is kind of when I first met Steve, really. I'd met him once before, but the first time I ever really met him was at an NECW show in Revere. He was dressed That's up right. as Santa That's Claus right. the whole <laughs> show. That's right. He was yep. just Santa Claus the whole show. Just sitting out. backstage dressed as no, Santa Claus. No, oh, okay. about giving, oh, okay. giving <laughs> you know, doing gifts and stuff, doing the whole Santa bit until he revealed himself. And I think it was attacked you, Alex. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did attack attacked me. Attacked you. Yep. Uh, you yep. did the whole fork in the head type of thing and, yep. and, and revealed that he was Steve Bradley home and blah, blah, blah. And then that was the first night I really met him and got to talk to him some. And then, like Alex was saying, Alex was the guy from the New England area. So when Steve wanted to start his promotion, Alex was the guy that talked to me. And from there is when I, I, I really started to get to know Steve because you put the whole roster together. And this is the first time anything like this had ever happened. It's even only time, actually, for me. Everybody that Steve wanted to use and Alex had chosen, he called. And we had a meeting 
at his school. This is probably a couple months prior to the first show ever, where Steve talked about what his promotion was going to be called, what he wanted to do, what his ideas was, and he had the whole roster there, and he was just talking to them. It was like an open forum type of thing after that, where he kind of got to know some of the people and got to know everybody, and he gave out some of his ideas and stuff, which is, you know, pretty genius but unheard of you know at the time mm-hmm. and still now to kind of get everybody together that far ahead of time and talk to and show his vision and ideas before ever running a show yep yep so what were your first interactions with steve like brian fury uh he was scary <laughs> if, you, uh, if, if you didn't know steve that well um and you're just going and learning and training with him and stuff he's a big scary intimidating guy yeah um, the way his he had a temper and he get fired up and he's like, no, what the fuck are you doing? And you got to do it like this and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until I really got to know him that I kind of like realized like how he trains. And, you know, it turns out I'm, I'm the same exact way when I train people. Like <laughs> I'm very abrasive and this and that. And I only tell people to do wrong. Uh, and it, he was very similar to that and that I really picked up those aspects. But man, my first interactions were he's, he's super smart. He knows what he's talking about, but he is scary and he is intimidating. So I better not mess up. I better just listen to whatever he says and do whatever he says. Otherwise, who knows what the hell's going to happen to me? <laughs> he was such a worker. <laughs> yes. If you guys only knew. Yeah. <laughs> so you were contacted to do the WFA first, and then you started going over to the school because you originally yep. were doing stuff with yeah, Lobster so, Man and all this. Yeah, I was, I was still kind of training over at Lobster Man's, and I decided, like, why wouldn't I start training at this school? Because this which is the, the top rope wrestling academy? I'll just say that pro wrestling academy. Yes. Uh, like, why wouldn't I start training there? Because this guy has just been there. He's 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 done he's done it all. He's going to be able to teach me and show me so many different things and better things than kind of where, where I'm at. I think I feel like I had plateaued at Jeff's and stuff, and that obviously wasn't taken very well uh, from Jeff's and stuff. So there was just kind of a angry falling out and whatnot but i just looked at it as for me to better myself better my career this would be the place that i needed to go and train so i, I kind of just went jump ship i jumped ship to the other pro wrestling school <laughs> trader. in new hampshire <laughs> trader and a lot of people did that like of course matt spectro who's been on this podcast a number of times tarzan <laughs> yeah, taylor yes. yeah. um like setherin was he started with you brian he yeah he was he rode the, the the fence for a long period of time i don't think he really fully came over to steve's as much as he kind of stayed at jeff's because he'd been there even longer than i had but he was kind of working those shows and everything uh some people from other schools um started coming up and training some with with steve you know like eddie edwards nicky rocks dc dillinger um they were you know from walter school originally and so it was a big wide variety of people from a lot of different places coming yep. up there and starting to come out of steve's learning tree so the wrestling federation of america the wfa yes he i remember at the meeting he said he wanted to call it the wfa so the people from New Hampshire would be like, oh, the, the, the WF, they're, they're coming to town. There's W's and F's. And- <laughs> we, we must have sat, because I remember the, we had this meeting where he came up with the name in his bedroom at his parents' house in December when we had that initial meeting, and we must have sat there brainstorming names for hours it was it was hours just sitting there was one of them the adults wrestling federation (laughs) (laughs) who knows it could have been so many that we just threw out there um call back to last episode go check out last episode yes (laughs) um 
But yeah, he came up with that for you know the reason that Brian said, and also because he was a big thinker. He didn't just want to run New Hampshire. He didn't just want to run New England. He wanted to eventually run as much as possible and go everywhere. He wanted to grow this thing into a a strong touring type of promotion. He mm-hmm. wanted to, because he was big, like, especially the time he spent in Puerto Rico seeing just what a territory could be. And obviously, and being in Memphis as well, just seeing what a territory could be, he wanted to bring that back. Because he, you know, at that point, the territories had been gone for just a few years. It was only, you know, six, seven years that they had been pretty much obsolete. So he wanted to bring that back. And that was why he want, he chose that name because he figured Wrestling Federation of America, it's got that potential for growth. It can become something bigger. Didn't want to pigeonhole himself right exactly, from the start. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the first show was in March, I believe. March of yes. 2003. Was that the Littleton Opera House? Is yes, that correct? Yeah. Littleton Opera House. I was in the first match yeah, you ever were. for WFA. That's wow. Right. So it was before. I knew it was the reason we booked you. It was, <laughs> it was before the official. Um, Show began. It was like an actual dark match because these were what he promoted as TV tapings. Okay. Yeah. Um, because they would tape like four weeks of like what he would have put together for for TV shows at the Littleton Opera House, and this place was packed, jam packed. Yeah. And the yeah. opening match was me and Chris Venom, uh, Adrenaline, versus <laughs> right. uh, versus the Noise Boys in the opening match. And I remember the crowd just being awesome and hot, and I still had no idea. What I was really in store for, because I've been on indie shows and stuff, and man, this was like nothing I had ever seen or been a part of uh, as that show kind of went on and the stuff yeah. that we saw that night. So you, you talked about the packed house. So Alex, what went into getting all those people to be, you know, it's the first show, it's the debut show for this company. Yeah. What went into getting that large group of people up to Littleton, which is a very <laughs> small town, if you don't know. It's a very yeah. small town in New Hampshire in the mountains. Well, it was a lot of weekends driving up. Steve and I would drive up there every weekend and we would flyer and put up posters and just talk to people and tell them about the show. There was a local radio station up there. The gentleman who was in charge of renting out the opera house had a radio show up there. So we would go and we would do little interviews on the radio show promoting the the event coming and stuff like that and just trying to build it up as something really big. That was where I got a taste of what it's like to actually run and promote shows because it's not just now you you know put something on a website or do a tweet or something. It was really, I guess, grassroots for lack of a better word, getting out there and just talking to people and promoting it. Like I was on a first name basis with the people at a couple of the convenience stores in town because, you know, I was just in there so often just every weekend. Oh, oh! You're you're almost out of flyers. Here's some more. Do you mind if I put a poster in the door instead of the window? That kind of thing. But that's what we did. We just made it. We put stuff up. If you were in Littleton, you knew there was a wrestling show happening on that day when that first event was happening because we just promoted the hell out of it. And pre Facebook and Twitter, you would sell your tickets, and you probably didn't even. Did you have a website at this time? I don't think there was a website yet. So you would sell tickets through local vendors, correct? So you would go to these convenience stores and give them a stack of tickets and say, "Yep, yeah." We, uh, I want to say for Littleton anyway, it was we'd like you to be our ticket broker. You know, tickets are I can't remember what the price was. We'll say ten dollars for every ticket you sell. We'll let you keep a dollar. You know, we'd give them. It was like a consignment type of deal, and that was something that. Steve put me in charge of doing because he was the mofo and he was a heel. <laughs> and and we, we wanted to keep that mystique about it still. Right. So, you know, he would tell me what to say and I was the one going in and doing a lot of that that kind of stuff. 
and you know when it came to getting buildings and doing that kind of stuff, that's what we did. I I would be the point man, but it was all you know. Okay, what do you want me to say? All right, cool. And then I would go and I would procure buildings and and venues and stuff like that. But that's what we would do. Uh, getting back to that is we would give them a dollar for every ticket sold, and we just tell them we'll give you four tickets for you and your family dollar for every ticket you sell and just if you can just tell people about it you know just promote it for us just anybody that comes in you know just ask them hey you're going to be going to the wrestling in a couple of weeks at, at the opera house or there's going to be wrestling at the opera house just ask you know building that rapport with people and just try to get them on your side because i can't talk to everybody in littleton but these folks have people coming in and out of the store all the time so getting them on your side basically so we had people promoting by proxy if you will i guess a good way of putting it they would just talk up the show for us because we we're in town, and like I said, we would do the radio spots and all that stuff, and we would try to build it up as something special. From what I remember, Steve didn't necessarily care about making money that first show. It was more about footage and yep. a full crowd and full house, so it looked like it was something bigger than what it was. And a lot of the footage, if you ever saw any of his DVDs and stuff from thereafter, all the stuff at the beginning was all from like that first show. He made yep. sure he got footage of the long line of people waiting outside, the full balcony, everybody, all the people on the floor, the people cheering and stuff like that, because that was the stuff that he could use to sell the promotion, whether it yep. was to other buildings, other people, uh, potentially uh, local TV stations like he, like he wanted to and stuff like that. And so getting people inside, that first show was more important to him than just about anything. Yep. And the first show was packed. It was full. But do you remember the following show when we did The Cage? Let's it was yes. even more people. Yeah. And they, I think we even turned people away at that show. And I think a lot of that footage, the outside footage, we got a lot of that on that Cage Match show, which was the next month there. Because we, we did. We put on such a good show that first time out that people were like, oh, my God, we got to come back for the next one. Oh, my God. You know? he, he, he set up a couple angles in that first show. Yep. We already knew what he wanted to do. Hot shot that second show with The Cage Match between Al and Steve. So everybody that was there that enjoyed it and liked it uh, would be able to tell everybody and talk about it. Yep. But I mean, that first show, that was the first time I, I ever saw a video screen at a local show, yep. um, video packages for the people. And this is the first show ever. So I remember him asking me for, give me some footage from other shows and blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll, I'll put it all together and make a video for you. So when you come out, you have something playing. People like the Nightbreed and different stuff. He was like, I, w I need you guys in Manchester at 11 o'clock this oh, Tuesday yeah. night because we're yeah. going to go out and film stuff, you guys in back alleys and up on rooftops yep. and different stuff so we can put together stuff. And this is all stuff he's recording with different people even before the first show ever happened, the amount of time and stuff he's putting into just yep. the, those video packages and the production aspect of things. And this is 2003, and this is light years ahead of what's going on mm -hmm. in New England pro wrestling at the time. So it definitely kind of... Uh, was eye opening for everyone else yep. to see like these video screens and stuff. And you and you said mm -hmm. Steve Brian, Steve did all the video stuff himself. Right? Yes, and I think this goes back to when we were talking about him asking everybody questions, no matter where he was. Yep, because he had all these ideas and picked up all this stuff and kind of knew. And he, when Steve, when I say Steve did everything himself, I mean Steve did everything yeah, himself. Yeah, there was very little that he trusted to you know to anybody else to not do um yeah he would he he edited all the videos he shot most of the footage i can remember a couple of times where he would send me out but he'd tell me like all right this is kind of the general idea of what i want to get as far as footage for these guys but 
you know, just shoot a bunch of stuff and we'll go through it later together and we'll figure out what we can use. Yeah, you got sent out with like Justin Shape and stuff, right? To do yep. some of the stuff. We set up some of the stuff with them. Some of the people and stuff at, at yep. the Walmarts or whatever else. And yep. he would do a lot of other different video packages and yep. then he would just spend literally, I'd come into school on Tuesday and he's like, ah, I haven't slept since uh, Sunday night because I've been doing this, this and this and this and this. And I'm like, And he wasn't man. exaggerating. He wasn't exaggerating. I mean, I had a, I had a full-time job at the time. And I would leave work at five o'clock in the afternoon. I'd go to the gym real quick, and then I would go right to the school. And I'd be there till like two or three in the morning. It, you know, for the first couple months, it was like, all right, this is cool, we're getting something done. But I had to scale back after a while because I was like, I'm I'm falling asleep at work. You know, I can't lose my job. But um, yeah, he was. That was it. Once we started, that was it for him. It was full speed ahead. Yeah, and Littleton was one of your the hot spots for yep. WFA and Brian Kingpin, uh, Littleton Opera House. If you haven't seen uh, any footage, if you haven't been there to Littleton Opera House, one of the like most tremendous buildings to wrestle in because we wrestled in there. Or I didn't wrestle, but we were there later for Chaotic Wrestling when they started running it. Yeah, yeah, the building is awesome. In the back, there's like a picture of like Gorgeous George had performed there at one time. So yeah. Uh, yeah, building is the building is amazing and um, a huge balcony. All the yeah, way I mean, and 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 with chaotic, the first couple shows we had there were were were, were pretty good houses, and the atmosphere is is great when that place is when that place is rocking. Yeah, because the the balcony is like right on top of the ring. It's not a huge building. You can only fit like probably fifty or sixty people on the floor. All the people are up on the balcony, just kind of breathing right on top of you. It's a tremendous atmosphere. Awesome acoustics in there. So yeah, people are going nuts. It's loud. For it's people from, yeah. familiar with uh, New England wrestling, the Fall River PAL, this is like a super fancy, nice deluxe version. <laughs> yeah. of yeah. Fall River, River PAL. Yeah, yeah like same really, type of really setup. Classy, though, yeah. yeah. So you started running other towns as well. Like uh, what, Brian? What other towns? You started running uh, Dover, New Hampshire. Derry, New Hampshire, Lawrence, Mass, White River Junction, Vermont, Newport, Vermont, Newport, New Hampshire, Laconia, New Hampshire, yep. Hooksett, New Hampshire. We did, boy, St. Johnsbury, Vermont. We yep. did a show there. He was running anywhere was, and everywhere. Yeah, anywhere. To the we point could. where there was like three months in a row, we'd be doing like six shows a month. For, yeah. For Would it be like it'd be like a Friday, Saturday every weekend? Friday, Saturday. Sometimes yep. if we were up in Newport, Vermont, it'd be a Sunday. A couple times there was a Thursday night show, like in Derry at the Derry Opera House and stuff. Yep. War Games weekend, I remember, it was like four days. That's Thursday, right. Friday, Saturday, War Sunday. Games yep. <laughs> War Games weekend. Yeah. Um, so who did the booking, uh, Alex? Was it solely Steve? Was Were you involved? It was kind of both of us. Yeah. Um, kind of bounce stuff off each other. Yeah, we would just kind of bounce stuff off each other. Like a lot of times, we'd be booking the show on the way to the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, like we'd come up with a card, but then we'd you know come up with finishes and try to figure out who can go with who next time. Um, it, d- it depends on who the champ was at the time, and right? so pe- you can tell who the booker was. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that rib. What a rib. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds he- <laughs> <really>. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah, the ultimate rib he pulled on me. Um, because I can't. Who was the? Uh, was I the first champ? I can't remember, but. Yes. I, 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 I might have been. Was it a tournament? We did something. I can't. It was remember like exactly. a gimmick tournament. The first show, because in the in the in the uh, the program, it had looked like there was already like two rounds done of the That's tournament. Right. That's and there was right. like yeah. two two semifinal matches were going to be on that show, and it was That's Alex right. and Steve, and they ended up doing the finals in the the fifteen foot high steel cage. Yeah, the next yeah, it was me and Bob Evans, and then yeah, yeah, yeah that that's right, yeah. Um, so and, the promoter's friend got to be the champion. <laughs> yeah, look how that worked. <laughs> yeah, no, so, uh, um, the booker at first, I guess you could say it was both of us, but we kind of, we said it was Steve because I, I my thinking was I don't want to be telling guys right. you know, that I'm booking this. 
especially being so at the time I'm only a couple years into the business and a lot of the guys that I'm telling finishes to have been around longer than me. So I felt weird doing that. And then once we got going um, and everybody was really digging what we were doing, everybody was comfortable and having fun. Steve's like, all right, you're officially the booker starting this show. Okay, sounds good. He goes, and we're putting the belt on you. And I went, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm the booker. Like, I say no. no. I, I can't. No, because I'm the booker. Everybody's going to think that I just put the belt on myself. He's like, I know. <laughs> he's just laughing. He just got such a kick out of it. And I'm like, you asshole. The booker being Every, champion never happens. Everybody's going to hate it? me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, the, I was the first champ, and I booked it, I guess. But, yeah, no. Um, yeah, I guess you could say. Okay, it, it was It was, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was both of us. I mean, even when I was officially the booker, it was both of us because it, he, Steve was the Vince, if you will, for you know everything that he had final say on everything. So, so you talked about Steve's knee, and I know from going to the very early WFA shows. Um, you used to I, go to the WFA show? I went to one. You fucking turncoat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. We'll get, into, we'll get into a big rivalry a little bit later on. But we, uh, myself, uh, Todd Sinclair, and Mako went to a WFA show to check it out because we got the- Laconia? Oh, I don't Is that know. The one? Maybe. It was one of like the first three or four. Okay. I wish, wish I could say it was surprised. Could have been Hooks It. So yeah, we, went, we went to check out, you know, this big buzz going on with WFA. So we went to check it out. And a pattern, I think, early on was finding out or hearing, hey, we get to check out Steve Bradley. Steve Bradley's going to be on the show. And he doesn't end up wrestling. Is that because of the, the knee? No, it was more because he just wanted to concentrate on everything in the back and okay. make sure that the show was running good. And also because he didn't want to... I don't want to get too graphic, but he didn't want to blow his nut at first. He didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to, it was kind of like Hogan back in the day. You had to go to the house shows to see him. He wasn't on every TV taping or whatever. That was the kind of rationale because he knew it's my promotion, but he also knew that I can be something special compared to everybody else. I have to bring them up to my level, essentially. And he wasn't egotistical about it. He was realistic. He knew I'm not going to be on every show, but I'll do a run in or I'll do, you know, whatever. So we could build to returns and we can, you know, build angles and stuff like that. So he didn't wrestle at first on every show because of that. He wanted to, when he finally wrestled, he wanted to be special. You know, he wanted the houses to grow and he wanted people to see him. When he wrestled, it was a big deal. So that's why when you first showed up, he probably wasn't wrestling for that reason, but mostly because he's the one in the background of the music. He's the one getting the videos going. He's the one giving guys cues and all that kind of stuff. Literally so, at, at gorilla position. Yeah. Listening to the crowd because if something worked right, as soon as they come back to the curtain, go back out there, say this in the mic, do this, 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 yeah. this. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's call, like, just changing booking on the fly on the based fly, on reactions all the and stuff time. like that. Yep. You got to go do this and blah, blah, blah. And he was just really directing traffic all, all the way around back there. So at the beginning, it was so much on his plate. He didn't want to be worried about calling matches or putting stuff together in, in yep. addition to all of that. So I guess, Kingpin, we'll get into what you alluded to a second ago. Um, <laughs> at that show, I remember that Todd Sinclair, Fat Pants, current ROH senior official, brought a tape. And that was he, Laconia. I yeah, remember this. Okay, it yeah. was Laconia. Okay, yeah. so that's why you know. <laughs> uh, so he brought a tape back to Steve Bradley to show him his work. So hopefully he could, uh, you know do some stuff for WFA. And do you know the whole story, Alex? I was standing there. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he might have given me the tape. I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, um, you guys go ahead and tell, tell the story. I don't know the story. You don't know the story? No, I don't know the story. I, I know that uh, he kind of really kind of healed out on him. 
Uh, <laughs> do you you know you remember? Yeah, he healed out on him. He's like, "What the fuck? You think? Yeah, you think I'm gonna fucking use you? You're from that fucking chaotic? Just kind of cut a promo on him, went off on him, and then and then goes, "I'm just kidding, man. Like, he was just fucking with him. <laughs> just, just, just having fun with him. He was totally messing with him. And that that was that was Steve. Like 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 Brian said, when you first meet him, he's like this intimidating guy or whatever. I never got had that experience with him, but. You know, yeah, everybody you give him else twenty percent discounts at GNC. Well, that's why I buttered him up. You know, come on. <laughs> that's how you got the strap. Uh, that's right, <laughs> exactly. Um, but it was funny because we would always talk on the rides back because I I was there for everything. I saw every interaction, and uh, I would always give him shit. I'd always be like, you know, if everybody knew what a pussy you really were. Like people would walk all over you, and he's like, "I know, don't tell anyone." You know, but, but that was the thing. Like he was just he just liked to have fun, you know. And yeah, the thing with Todd, he was just messing with him. He was just having fun with him. But the the chaotic thing yeah. was, I mean, we heard stories. Yeah, Kingpin. The, the story we heard, and you guys can either poo poo it her or confirm it was somebody from Chaotic called him. Somebody who the ownership of Chaotic largely had no clue about fucking professional wrestling. None, like no, like maybe they watched it in the eighties and nineties or whatever. But we were having Doctor Tom Pritchard here for a camp, and they had reached out to Steve to book him. And then said, "Hey, and Doctor Tom Pritchard's going to be there, and you could you could get a look by WWE." That's right, and, yeah, and that yeah. really angered him. And then, can you guys confirm this story? Or? That is a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he felt very insulted by that because he's like, Who "The fuck are these guys?" You know, they don't know who. What the fuck? Like, I remember the conversation we had after after that phone call, and he's like. Do you know who the fuck these guys are? Al, who the fuck are these guys? And I'm like, it was always, Al, 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 Al. Al. That is always the thing. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm like, I don't know. I've never, I've never met them. I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know who, who this person is that called. You know, I, I don't know. I we, never. We met heard him. it was Milo, Milo Masterson, who was Who's, yeah. commentator and then and then also part owner of Chaotic Wrestling. But I don't, I don't know for sure. Right, but obviously he take, didn't have a clue. Take, take I your pick, because yeah, I mean, I I mean and, and not not trash anybody, but even like I don't even think Jamie would have known like a, a guy who was in developmental. Like I just don't think he followed wrestling that closely. Like he just, which is not a good thing when you're running a promotion. You really should be aware of things uh, if you're trying, especially trying to book somebody. You should be aware of who the fuck they are, what the fuck they've done, and where the fuck they've been. I wasn't in Steve's like inner circle or close buddies quite yet at this period of time. So, but I know. Anytime somebody that ran another promotion or something like that would make Steve mad, it, it would be like, oh, the fuck, you know what? Fuck these guys. I'm going to fucking bury these motherfuckers. I'll fucking run these motherfuckers around the business. I'll run right across the street from these guys in the same goddamn day if I have to. Fuck them. Yep. I can imagine it was something along those <laughs> that lines. That kind of happened with Chaotic. I, do you know how many times I had to reel him back in <laughs> from, from those like rants? Because a lot of times he just... Get, he yeah, and that was it. Yeah, he had a famous temper. He would get the littlest things, would the make tiniest Steve mad. things. And I was like, "Dude, are you really that mad about this?" And, and and a lot of times it would be for show, you know, just so that word could get back to whoever because right, you know. But. Remember when he got locked in his bathroom at his school and he just fucking broke the whole door, <laughs> knocked, knocked it right off the hinges, just broke the whole door. Wow. You know how angry he was. Yeah, yeah, he would, he would he had a temper. <laughs> we we kind of were forbidden from so like uh, Billy Kryptonite was like the champ for <laughs> and then he got like squashed in like ten seconds or oh, something like but, that. Yeah, we yeah, got, he he came up for that. I me- I remember this. I remember Billy Kryptonite. He would train on Wednesday nights at Steve school yeah which yep. was like the only off night that he could get away from the chaotic training center to train with steve because he wanted different eyes which billy kurt tonight he went on famously to be in wwe as i 
I am shit factor? No, no, no. That's something else. Or he, am I shit factor? He was, he was one of the dicks. <laughs> you can look up the, don't, well, maybe I, sh- I shouldn't say wrestling dicks. I don't think, don't, don't yeah, Google that. Don't probably, Google probably not that. a good idea to Google that. <laughs> Cro- 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 Crockett Googles it on the regular. <laughs> I, I heard so many stories about him, about Chad, and I never had like I, they're entertaining as hell when I hear him. Like, oh my, really? He's like that. I never had that that experience with him at all. Every time he came to the school, he was always happy. He was always upbeat. He was always positive about everything. And overly positive. Oh yeah, everything. overly positive. And um, when Steve said, "Hey, do you think we should use him?" I said, "Yeah, why not? Give him a shot. You know, whatever. That's fine." He's like, "But he's chaotic's champion." I'm like, "So, <laughs> who cares?" And uh, you know, because for me, I always thought the politics of wrestling were so stupid. I still think they're stupid. But I even back then, I was like, even even though I'm I'm helping run a promotion, I'm like, this is so dumb. Why can't everybody just run their shows? Nobody cares. You know, come on. So we had Chad go up to one of the Littleton shows, and Steve's like, I'm gonna test him. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm just gonna have him get beat in like thirty seconds or whatever. Was it with D? Yeah. It, yes. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Just get squashed. And and we'll just see how he we'll just see how he is. Just test his attitude. I said, okay, if you want to, that's fine. He's like, and it'll stick to those chaotic fuckers. Too. <laughs> I'm like, all right, if that's what you want to do, that's cool. So I brought, I went to Chad, and I I relayed that message. Like, yeah, we're gonna have you go out work with D. I said, you're not gonna do anything. He's just gonna beat you 30 seconds tops. We're just have him hit you a couple times and give you, you know, take his finish, and that's it. And, and Chad was like, didn't bat an eyelash. Okay, sounds good. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Great. And I went back and told Steve, and he's like, really? He didn't boo-boo face at all? He didn't, I said, dude, he didn't bat an eyelash. He goes, great. Well, fuck. Let's see how he does out there, and we'll, and we'll use him. Fuck it. We'll use him from now on. Okay. He went out. He got beat. Came to the back. Thank you very much for having me. Shaking everybody's hands. Shake Steve's hand. And, and Steve was like, looks at me and was like, you know, give me the look. Like, wow. All right. Sound great. And that, I mean, but that's- then, then Steve <laughs> uh, took the hard cam footage of that. Made a video of it, put it on YouTube, put it on the front page of the WFA website. <laughs> Local wrestling champion gets destroyed by D in 30 seconds. That's right. That's right. And, and, and he never, he always would do this stuff, and I'd see it after. And he'd be like, what do you think of that? And I'd be like, you fucker. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why? But yeah, he would, yeah, he would. And that he, would be the end of any chaotic eyes yeah. going to yeah. WFA. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was vindictive, <laughs> for and you, sure. And you talked about like running across the street from a rival promotion. Yeah. You guys ran a show essentially on the same street as where Chaotic was running in right. Methuen. Yeah. It was yeah. Route 28. In Lawrence. Right? Yeah, but yeah. you guys were in Lawrence. It was a few miles down the road, but it was essentially the exact same street. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah. The same day. And what would you call the, the show? Crossing Enemy Lines. Crossing Enemy Lines. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was so proud of that one. <laughs> I remember. He was so, he was like, Al, I know what we're going to call this show. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like crossing enemy lines. What do you think? I'm like, He's like ah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the t-shirts. You're, you're crazy, but I love it. You know, and yeah, sure, we made t-shirts and oh yeah, the whole thing. But there was like a real thing, like almost like amongst the guys and stuff. Like I think I think that was probably the catalyst for me and Fury. Like when you first came to Chaotic, probably the catalyst for like the tension that was. I mean, between yeah, probably. Us, it was. You know? I remember when I first came to here to Chaotic Training Center years later, like not knowing not feeling comfortable you know you know just unsure of how i would be you know be taken at the time or or, you know whatever and it was just an interesting 
thing at that at that point in time. Which, yeah, I look back at it now, I'm like, that's so stupid. But yeah. but yeah. back then, when when you know you're in it, you're like, oh, I'm, everybody's I'm, baby facing you to your face, like fuck this I think, guy, I, yeah, fuck I think him, because you came here first <laughs> yep. to chaotic first, and then I think shortly after, I asked you, I'm like, hey, I was it up there because I was looking at coming back and because I'd taken a little bit of time yep. off, and uh, you're like, yeah, it's good, everybody's good, and yeah, I mean. Yeah, it was. We, we really just weren't sure. For, I mean, like like I said, look back at it, stupid. But we really just weren't sure how we would be taken, looked at, or, or treated and stuff. And it was just no. It was great. Everybody was. Cool. Oh yeah, everybody I mean, was always cool here. I always had fun. I say here. I mean chaotic, but right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always had fun. But going back to the the whole thing, I I remember like being around. I don't know if I I wasn't really booking at the time, but I was around. But I remember like being kind of worried oh what's what's wfa have on the on top on their show and i remember i don't think it was i don't think it was done like um as a response to you guys but i remember we got low-key in the main event of our show at the last minute in in methuen yeah and it was like <laughs> all right that's good because you guys are running right down the street the same night and i don't i don't ever recall like attendance being no. down per se i let's think it just, just built up just call it what it is fucking stupid <laughs> like yeah like in all and, yeah. I, and i still think it's fucking stupid to this day when all these promotions run against each other because all you're doing is splitting the audience you're splitting the audience yeah you're, like you're, the fans putting, don't give a shit the only people that give a yeah, shit are like the care. guys like, yeah they don't care <laughs> the crowd's like yeah. i don't know whatever show i think is better that's what i'm gonna fucking go to <laughs> like, I, I, right. i've always like i said before i've always thought wrestling politics is so dumb I had, I had a taste of it my first couple months in the business, and I'm like, this is stupid. I, I, I was told, a uh, call back to the NWA New England, I told uh, Joe Eugenio, who was running Yankee Pro Wrestling, yeah, I'm going to go work for, uh, I can't work your show this weekend because I got booked for Tony Rumble and for NWA New England. And, and he's like, well, if you work for me, you can't work for him. I said, I took about five seconds on the phone. I said, okay, I guess I'm not working for you anymore then. Thank you for, thank you for booking me when you did. I appreciate it. And that was it. I'm not dealing with that shit. Come yeah. on. It's silly. And Ultimatums also, and politics. All it really did was was probably in the long run hurt both promotions because exactly. because especially where you guys were mostly running was so fucking far away from where like chaotic was mostly running. Like there could have been guys who worked both and done unique things and unique matchups, and it would have been you know it's one of those things that it's when you're in it at the time and and here I mean definitely like we all. I think I think there was probably some Kool Aid drinking on both on both sides, but you're but you're in it. Right. And you're like, yeah, fuck these guys. <laughs> but, like, but if you, you think know? about it, it's actually. I mean, we look at it now, and we're like, that's so fucking stupid. Yeah. But if you think about it, if you're trying to get your crew all fired up and re- you got to have something to fight against, you got to have something to be excited about. Yeah. And I think that a lot, you know, that's kind of one of the most basic human things. You, you I need to fucking fight somebody. I need to go over on. I need to win. And that was something, yeah, it was just competition. So, and I think a lot of it, I mean, yeah, Steve got a hair across his ass about some things that we all think were stupid, but it was like a way to keep himself motivated too, because you can't compete with yourself. That's no fun, you know? So you got to, so I think in a lot of ways that a lot of it was manufactured for that reason, because you got to have something to compete against. Oh yeah. They used it here too. I can can tell you it worked both ways. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It it (laughs) did. And and I I remember I was, uh, Chad was going up to the school and I, he wanted me to go with him at one point. And it was kind of told to me that if I'd hoped to work chaotic shows, I shouldn't do that. And (laughs) (laughs) the whole thing. I mean, I was more office and I was more one of the boys, especially at this period of time. Like, and we basically told we can wrestle wherever we want, except for chaotic wrestling was like the one place we couldn't wrestle. Yeah, and because Steve didn't care, if we wrestled anywhere. He just didn't. He didn't like 
them, and it probably all goes back. To all that, goes back to that, that phone call. That one phone. That's call. really it. He felt. I don't blame him for being pissed yeah. off about that. I'd have been yeah. pretty fucking hot about yeah, that. Yeah, he too. just felt this. He felt so <laughs> disrespected, and he felt like if these guys don't even know who I am. Like what you guys were saying before, if you're going to run a promotion, you should know, yeah. you know, who's whatever. The curiosity, like why, why, like if you're going to reach out to somebody, right? If I'm going to reach out to whether it's Steve Bradley or Brian Fury or or Alex Arion or Brian Malonis or whoever, like why are you reach out to this person if you don't even know who the fuck they are? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. the, the the reason why you book Steve Bradley is because you know what he did in in, in developmental. You know the reputation this man has. You know. The history he has in the business. To me, if you're going to go book somebody like that, like there's going to be a reason you're calling them. And and if if you're a promotion and you're letting maybe the guy who doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about be the one who calls talent, like that's just a dumb business move. And I think that that's where it all stemmed from was that phone yeah. call, the disrespect, and he just he doesn't he didn't know Jamie, he didn't know anybody else. You know, he just knew what he got from that phone call. So he figured, well, they're all fucking idiots. Then if this is who. The guy is that's doing all the talking. They must all be fucking stupid. So fuck them. We're gonna put them out of business. That was his attitude. You know. Yeah, I know the person we heard the story from, which is our friend Duke Stalton. He was like aghast because you know Steve relayed the story yeah. to him. Yeah. And he was like, "What? Oh, this guy shouldn't have been talking to you. I apologize. This is yeah. ridiculous." Yeah. But yeah, it was a whole thing. But um, back to WFA. Kind of your calling card. Well, I and mean, something that you know, chaotic guys would point to is the number of gimmick matches oh, yeah. on the shows. <laughs> oh yeah, it started off like just, I remember one a show, and then it started to get a little out of control a little bit. I yeah, that was one thing I I was always vehemently against, but he felt we had to do it. That was because he became kind of the calling card. So that was the thing Steve felt we have to do a gimmick match on every show, and. We started running out of ideas after a while. We start. What was the one we had with um, Vicalo and and Tim McNeeny? Oh, the, the, oh the, yeah, the, the bar room, the bar room, whatever it was. Whatever. Every time you got thrown out and both feet touched the floor, you had to take a shot. You had to take a shot of well, Jack Daniels. Well, those two just throwing themselves over the, over the top. <laughs> and, and, and these guys, I, I mean, like, it was just stuff like that, you know, because you felt you had to have something, some sort of, yeah, some kind of a hook or something to put on the poster so that you could get yeah. people to come. And there would always be at least one. And I remember in October, he would do like every match is some sort of a gimmick match. Like there'd be yep. like the show for October, like a Halloween type of thing. And the opening match was a special challenge match. Yes. <laughs> the only one that like, <laughs> put something on it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a special challenge match. I love special challenge matches. <laughs> now, did how did this affect, you know, the the guys on the roster? I know when Andre Lyons and the Mighty Mini left Chaotic Wrestling and crossed the line. There was like a little to, video right. put out yeah. about that. To go to that's WFA. Right. Um, I know that to me, anyway, Todd Sinclair said, I don't think Andre is going to last there because they do a lot of gimmick matches and his knee is bad and something's going to happen. Was there a lot of like people running around with injuries because they're doing all this like hardcore stuff? I think I had a concussion for about five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, yeah, it was because it was all the time. It was something every single show. For me, that was the first place where I literally worked and steve gave me the opportunity to work from opening match guy to a mid-card guy to working myself up into a main event guy yeah so i remember always watching and wanting to be in these gimmick matches and and, and i'm like man so someday you know if i get the opportunity i'd love to do this and love to do that and then when i got to that level in wfa i was like man can i just have like a regular match a special challenge <laughs> match <laughs> but, but i think yeah. and that's when um 
that there was a point in time where myself and Eddie Edwards were kind of both coming into our own and we got married for a long period of time there where we'd be main events and we would start having those gimmick matches would be kind of the undercard matches and we'd be doing yep. wrestling matches or now we're going to do a 30 minute Iron Man match for the main event. Now we're going to do a two out of three two falls, three falls or, yeah. or this and that type of stuff. So we were able to bring that wrestling part back yep. to that main event thing for, for at least a little while because man, those gimmick matches after a while, Once, like I said, once I was in them, and I'm a table match two nights in a row, or I'm in this, or I'm that. I'm like, man, like, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind being in a regular match here and there. Yep. How many? I just you're remember, in a table match two nights in a row. That's double what I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember um, the ring crew truck would get to wherever it was. He would tell like Scott Gurman and somebody else, go to the back room, find a table. Spray paint WFA over where it says Dover Elks or wherever yep. else, so we can, and then bring it in with the rest of the stuff because that's our table. <laughs> yeah. That stuff's expensive. Yeah, yeah. beats going to uh-huh. Staples like we would do. Right? Those, those tables now are like impossible to find, by the way. Like, and and you, you do plastic. find them. Yeah, yeah, you do find them. They're like they're like a hundred bucks a piece. Yeah, that's because we broke them all. Every building in New England. <laughs> uh, um, How many tables? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fury, did this kind of uh, affect your decision to leave WFA? What went into that decision? No, I mean, I was there until the very end. It's funny, you like... Is that, is that true? I bookended WFA. I was on the very first WFA match, and I was in the very last WFA match, believe it or not. Uh, I thought that WFA was continuing to run, or... No, I was... The Maybe last, that's just a school was continuing match to run. was myself versus John Poe in a steel cage match in Rochester, New Hampshire, as far as I remember, and that was the very last one. I was um, not there. Yeah, you had left because you had to start and, start and working your, your new shoot job that was going to be, yep. you know, set you up for the rest of your life type of thing. And yep. when you had left, I kind of assumed the mantle that you had of being definitely the right-hand man and because yep. I was still kind of wrestling, like, doing that type of thing. Who's who's around now? Who can I use? Who can I... And I show him different people or, or stuff from the area for different ideas for him. Um, but yeah, I was... I I left because it was over. And it's funny because, I, like I said, I, was, I listen to podcasts and read books and stuff now about people at ECW and why did they stay to the end and why did they do this and why did they do that? It's just when you're there and like I couldn't see myself leaving or wrestling anywhere else, even though at, there were points where I wanted to because he's running six shows a month and I see other people wrestling all these places and starting to travel more and this and that. And I couldn't because I have so many bookings here that... You know, I kind of was envious, but at the same time, happy at the same time. It, it was yeah. a weird dynamic, but I was there right until the, the very end. Was it known going into that last show? It was the last one? No. He had another show booked. Uh, I believe it was in Dover, and I remember packing up the car, getting ready to drive, and I got the phone call saying that show got, got canceled the day of, and then it was just nothing ever kind of got booked or, or, or started up again. So it was just kind of, yeah, just stopped happening you stopped hearing from him yeah no he still kind of ran the school okay um and, and, he, and he was taking on some new students and stuff but no as far as shows go no nothing else was uh was run from maybe that's what i was thinking that the school was still running but you came down and started yep. working for chaotic yep no, the, school, the school was still around and he was still there training and stuff and he was actually building the school to be like a mini arena and he had bleachers and stuff built and all that other stuff but yeah all that stuff mm-hmm. was there uh you know, towards yep. the end and I remember, it, and you, you, you coming over here, and at the time, you, you and Nikki Rocks have been dating. And I was more friendly with her than I was with you, and her talking about your struggles of like the mental struggle of of 
coming here and possibly leaving there and what you were kind of struggling with yeah, it was, mentally. It was yeah, hard. we had a couple of phone calls about that. Yeah, we I mean, had some Steve conversations was, about that. Steve became a very close friend of mine. I, much like Alex, I would talk to him every single day. He'd call me about, what do you think of this idea? What do you think of this gimmick? Mm-hmm. What do you think of this match type of stuff for WFA and different things? And it was just... You know, I'd stay at the school after class until you know. You know, it was with Steve once. Oh, yeah. Once he two, started three talking, in the morning. That's it. You're, you're there until you know until midnight, two, mm-hmm. three. Just talking about WFA, the business, wrestling, a student. You know how fucking terrible the last three matches on one of the shows were, or this or yep. that, and blah blah blah. What are we gonna? Do? What it was? What 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 are we gonna do to improve this? What are we gonna do to draw here and all that stuff? So yep. it, he was always looking for ideas and stuff. But yeah, we just talk, 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 and it was yeah, it was hard. It was hard for me to kind of leave and 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 say goodbye, but with nothing else going on there and me kind of wanting to continue my career and wrestle a lot of places. Like I hadn't, I had no choice. And of course all, all of Steve's guys were kind of fiercely loyal to him. Oh yeah. I mean, we didn't really talk about some of the people that like he trained. Right. Oh yeah. And, please and do. Stuff. I mean like Brandon, you know, guys like Brandon Locke and then mm-hmm. Scott Reed, Scott, Reed. Scott Curran, who yeah. later transformed his whole body into becoming uh, a member of devastation corporation for Chikara. Max Smashmaster, former yes, guest, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and then like the guys that he really influenced, like Alex, myself. Antonio uh, Thomas. Antonio Thomas, Eddie Edwards. Yep. So many different people over the years that Kurt really... Angle. <laughs> well, like, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, if, if you want to talk about people that are, that are on TV and stuff like yep. that, so many different people there that he influenced or talked about. Yep. I remember taking a trip down to Cincinnati to train with Les Thatcher for a week. Uh, we were just kind of trading on off days of when Heartland was there, and we mentioned Steve's name to people, and everybody was like, "Whoa, wait, wait, you, you know Steve, and you trained with Steve, and blah blah blah." And like the mm-hmm. legend of him down there was insane, and so many people down there talked about when Steve got released, they had like all hope gone for themselves in professional wrestling because they're like, "If that fucking guy isn't getting the call and isn't getting used, like why would I?" And right. yep. <laughs> they had like um a painting of him like on the wall. They had like 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 silhouettes of like some of the people that were there. And you're looking at the guys on the wall, they're all like top guys and like there's Steve who's like mm-hmm. drawing like almost twice the size of everybody else there. Like <laughs> yep. it, it was insane. So many people that he influenced down there and stuff as well as people that he trained in New England, like it was it's crazy to think like mm-hmm. how far his, his reach has gone. So when you came to Chaotic and then you started training at the Chaotic School. Was that, with Steve, was that kind of Chaotic Resentment still there? Was that kind of like... With with Steve? I, I don't think so. Because Steve, you know, he... I, I don't think he really thought anything of it, really. Because his school, he was still training and it was stuff, but it was only like a couple of kids would be at training here and there. And some of his newer students that he had taken on, like Ethan and some people, you know, so it wasn't like there was a huge... It wasn't like big classes like it was back in the day. We were like 15 yeah. of us going all at once. It, it was kind of more intimate one-on-one type of stuff with the people that were still there and stayed there. So whenever the random times that we spoke were, it wasn't like he was mad or angry or anything. He just didn't think anything of it. He'd ask how things were or whatever whenever I talked to him, like no time had passed. Alex, how 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 did he feel about guys going to Chaotic and stuff like that? How did uh, Steve feel when you talked to him? By that point, when WFA was done, yeah, he didn't really, it wasn't a thing, didn't care. Because I mean, I went. I came here. Right. You know. Right. I, ca- I. I mean, I came to chaotic, and you know, he was just. He would just ask, like, how how is it there? You know, I was. I'm like, it's good. You want to come? Want to come work? Mm-hmm. You know. And and he's like, no, no, I'm not gonna work there. I'm not gonna work there. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, steak. Yeah. No, <laughs> f- please, steak. 
<laughs> guys are stink, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it. But if, if we if we uh, don't don't let me not tell the story right. ab- about because I think you know about yeah. this. Yeah, don't let me not tell that story. We'll get to it. So when did the the school shut down? Uh, when was that? Was that 2007? Mid 2007? Yeah, I'm not even sure exactly because there were two or three times after training here and wrestling here for a long period of time where I remember just driving up and yeah, because I remember there was a point training. Where you would, yeah, uh, myself and Nikki brought Chase up for a class once, and Chase still talks about that one class as being like, "Wow, what the hell!" Like that was yeah. crazy, uh, and he was just and I hadn't seen Steve for like over a year or two years, and he was. If you know Steve, he does like that weird squint when he's looking across the room because he's blind as a bat. And he's like, oh, who's that? And he's like, oh, hey, Fury. And like just, yep. it was like not like no time had passed. Like just talking yeah. like, hey, it's Steve. Like, and even then, like it was pretty quiet ar- around there. So I, I just don't think he had the students and the funds to kind of keep it up and running and stuff. So Steve passed on December 4, 2008. And the reverberations were felt all over New England. I know, Brian, you... Uh, obviously were devastated. Yeah, I, Alex is the one that called me and told me and I was at work and I, I was I remember I being really bummed out and 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 sad and stuff um even though we weren't as close as we once were and it didn't really hit me or affect me until I had to call and tell some other people. That was like that's always like the hard part is when you call cuz then it, the news is really um Final, and I remember having to call and tell people and, and breaking down and stuff. And then when we had his service. I, 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 you, me, and you drove together, Crockett, uh, to his his service and stuff. And I just remember that not it being a lot harder on the way home and the way out than it was there. Because when we were there, it was happy. We we're all talking about good times and blah blah blah. But after, towards the end and afterwards, it was like when it was really, really hard. And it was just tough knowing that you know he wouldn't be able to be a guy to be there or go to or ask questions to when when needed and he's really the guy that i owe everything that i am in wrestling too so it was it was it was it was tough and alex you have to make these calls was probably brutal yeah um yeah Uh, um yeah i I know i mean it was yeah it was hard um i kind of had a sense that something was wrong a few days before because his parents had called me and asked me if I'd seen him or heard from him, and I had not. And then I had begun calling him and texting him, and I wasn't hearing back. And I remember calling uh, Bob Evans and telling him, I think something's wrong. And I kind of had a feeling. So when I I got the news, um, it... (sighs) Yeah, it sucked. I, I don't. Yeah, it was. I kind of had a sense something was up, and um, I hoped it wasn't as bad as it ended up being. But yeah, it was. It was a rough one. Now, Alex, I didn't really know how deep you wanted to get into the story surrounding Steve's passing. Um, well, it was no secret he died of a heroin overdose. Um, so. It was, um, he had a pill problem. Well, just be, be blunt about it. And, and you talked about it back when we were talking about Puerto Rico on the last episode. Yeah. And Steve had a very addictive personality and, um, he was not shy about that at all. Um, so he got hooked on prescription pills and honestly, that's kind of why he started to run into financial problems with the school and with WFA because, 
he started to, he needed to get his pills. Um, he, you know, and there was no secret about that. That was uh, kind of one of the things that led to me leaving as well as getting a job, like a, like a, a good job that I needed to devote more time to. Um, but same, I, same, same for me. Like you, I didn't really <clears throat> go into details with that earlier, but the, I mean the writing for the people that knew Steve yeah. well, uh, the writing was on the wall and we weren't in denial about it. Like some of the newer people might've been, which is why they stayed after yeah. WFA closed. But we, you know, we kind of knew how things were going and why things were the way they were and just the quality and, every, and everything surrounding it wasn't quite the same as it once was because Steve's priorities had kind of changed because this had kind of taken over mm-hmm. more so than what it was at one point in time. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many times I had to scream and yell at him um, you know, motherfucker, I don't want to be looking over your body in a casket. I, I don't know how many times I told him that. And I said, you're going to die. You need to slow down. You need to cut this shit out. And I mean, I've, n- I've never been secretive about, like I used to do that kind of stuff too. Not heroin, never, nothing nothing like that. But I used to take pills. Um, but I, w- I, I don't get addicted to stuff like that. I can say, okay, enough's enough. I, I probably take more of these than I should. And I stopped, you know, taking stuff. But, but I would occasionally partake um and take a couple here and there after a show just as kind of a you know way to unwind or whatever uh not saying it was right or anything but um i could stop and when we would have these talks these heart to hearts that he and i would have you'd always say to me how do you just stop how can you do that and i said i just do because i know it's i don't want to go down that road i just stop and i said you need to stop too and i can remember him just opening up to me how he can't stop and he, you know, he needs this and he, he's tried and he gets sick and everything. And I said, you just got to stop. You just, you know, and I kind of, it's weird because I don't, I don't, I'm not wired that way that he was. So it was hard for me to relate to the problems he was having. Cause I was like, okay, I just stop just enough. Enough's enough. Stop taking it. And he just, I couldn't understand why he couldn't. And yeah, going back to like what you were just saying, like to relate to people, obviously people that know me know I've never done anything or even drank or anything like that. So even more so than Al, I can't relate in any way, shape or form to it because I couldn't imagine taking something to begin with in the first place. Uh, And granted, I know it kind of started, you know, not necessarily out of boredom, but that's kind of how things were and what he was surrounded by. And then with his knee issue and all the other various things. So things were kind of given to him for a reason. So. I had a hard time relating as well, so I was, I was very unsympathetic compared to a lot of other people around that kind of had gone down and done some of the things that that he had done. So yeah, it, it, it I was. Mean, that's I couldn't have conversations with him about this type of stuff because yeah. I would I would get more fired up or angry than than anybody else. So yeah. it, it wasn't something that was one of the things that was known, and he would t- we talk about it, but we, it was never like conversations that Steve and I would have. Yeah, what you the word you use there, unsympathetic. I can say that I was kind of the same way because, yeah, I partook because you know it's just kind of for me personally. I wanted to be a wrestler so bad, and I know Steve was the same exact way in, in this regard. That you just did what you thought everybody in wrestling did. And when I f- took my first pain pill, I got them for a surgery because I broke my ankle, and I ended up taking them for three days and saving them because Steve told me, 
when you come to Memphis, you can sell these and make some money because all the boys love gimmicks. You'll get over with the boys if you have gimmicks. And I was like, oh, all right, cool. You know, 19-year-old kid, I don't know any better. And and I think that that's kind of how it started because I don't want to say I feel responsible, but I think I had the first pills that he took were from me, from an ankle surgery. And from there, it just kind of, you know, he would get them here and there, but I think it, his problem really started when he was in Cincinnati, um, hanging out with uh, the Samoan guys. I know the Samoan guys were big partiers. Johnny the Bull. Johnny the Bull, all them guys. People. I mean, it's, you hear all the stories of the people from that era. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it, you know, it's huge and super prevalent in that era. Yeah. And you hear, you heard all the stories talking about him just kind of, being bored, not able to do anything, and whatever else like that. So it was even more so because then he's not—he yeah. doesn't have to worry about, you know, traveling or being on the road or being coherent for stuff for TV or whatever. Blah blah blah. Like like radio interviews to promote Raw coming to town. So he's just on the road and okay. Well, getting carted around or this and that. Like you can even do it that much more. Yep. And um, I think when he he had it pretty much under control. When we started the school, he he would only take pills occasionally, and it was always it started as a in in Puerto Rico. I remember you had, and this is so this is so cheesy talking about now, but you had the the kids meal, the happy meal, and the and the what was it the super the size? super value meal or the super size meal or whatever, and it would be like the kids meal was two somas and a Vicodin, and then the you know and, and you 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 named like the dosage of stuff you would take. And that's just, that was the culture there. And I think he took that with him when he went to Cincinnati and some of the guys he was hanging out with were even more hardcore than that. And I think he just kind of got into that cycle. He calmed down a bit when he got released. And then I, I want to say he started up again shortly after we began running shows, and it was more of a, hey, let's have a couple gimmicks on the way home after the show to celebrate. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And that's that's what we did. We'd take, you know, pop a couple of Vicodins and have a sip of beer and drive home two hours or whatever. But then it became, for him, it was like, I'm going to have a couple of gimmicks the, mo- the next morning because, man, last night was such a good show. And then it became... You know, oh, I got a, I'm a little sore from class, so I'm going to take more. And, and it just, you know, with that snowball effect, it just became more and more and more. Uh, and then, I mean, I, I ended up leaving, like I said earlier, to because I just had had enough of it. I just, it, enough was enough for me. I was like, man, you're going to kill yourself. And I don't, I, I don't know what else to do to tell you, to get it through to you that, you're going to die and I don't want to I don't want to be looking over your casket. I slapped him in the face one time um because I was so angry. I slapped him in the face said fucking wake up. You're going to die. You need to wake up. You know, cut this shit out. I you're you're killing yourself. And um he was just he you know, he was upset, you know, and he didn't know what to do to stop. Yeah. Um uh, for me you know, not having those conversations or being in that inner circle with him because he, he knew how I was, so he didn't let me know how bad things were, how good things were, or, or whatever as far as that goes. But I remember towards the end, this is when, how I knew things were bad. I was with Steve from the beginning, worked my way up top guy. Steve paid me pretty well. 
because I would do all the postering and stuff with him. I became like his right hand. I became the Al. So he paid me very well. And if we did two or three shows in a row, you'd get one payday at the end of all of, of all the shows. And this is towards the end. I did the, like the main event for three shows in a row. And I remember him giving me the payday at the end of the three shows and it only being $25, which is lower than he's ever paid me ever for a single match, never mind for the three things. And I remember... I just remember the thought of like, man, like, that's not Steve. That's not how, that's not how things were. That's not how things should be. And things are not right. And I remember I wanted to go say something to him and and Nikki told me, no, just don't just kind of leave it. And, you know, it was, that was really eye opening to see how bad things had become for him. Cause he was like going back to how Alex was saying earlier, he was always giving, he was always helping. And so to see that, after you know everything else that we had been through, I was like, "Man, this things aren't things aren't good." He did. Um, after everything closed down, he went to like an in how like a outpatient rehab or something mm-hmm. like that to try to get off of the pills. He took advantage of the WWE. He did take advantage any of the- former WWE talent. Yeah, you know uh, they'll they'll pay for the rehab and stuff like that. And so Steve yep. contacted them and he took advantage of that. Yep. And um, there was a time where I did not talk to him for about four or five months. And then one day I'm working and I just, my phone rings and it's a number I don't recognize. I'm like, right, who's this? And so I answer the phone and it's Steve. He's like, Al, what are you doing? And, it, and, it, and I'm like, Steve, what, where are you calling me from? He's like, dude, I'm in rehab. Like, what? Because yeah, I finally did it, man. I went to rehab. I'm fucking. I'm kicking it. I'm, I'm finally doing it, man. I, I, you're the first person I'm calling to let know. I went. Oh man. Well, I'm proud of you. That's that's awesome. And I remember getting off the phone and being like, "That was Steve. Like that was my friend. Like that was that was the old Steve. It was not who he had let himself turn into." Like he sounded happy, sounded vibrant. He was telling me stories about being in rehab with couple of people i'm not gonna say names but you know for <laughs> privacy purposes for you know but he was he was in rehab with a couple of people and he was telling me stories about stuff and um he just seemed like genuinely thrilled and happy and then um he called me the day he got done rehab and i just i was at a show in i want to say it was in dover um for uh, maverick wilds was running a show Okay, I think you were there. I'm not sure because I'm. I, My, I did a couple of his random shows that that he that he ran. Yeah, and it was just a random show that I agreed to do, and and he called me and uh, he's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm actually at a show right now. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you are you home?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm back. I'm back." He goes, "Uh, come over when you're done." I'm like, "You sure? It's gonna be late." He goes, "I don't care. Just come over. Come over. I'm at my parents' house." Okay, and I went back, and he was he was fit. Like he he was tan, um, he looked great. Like he just he looked like the old Steve, and he was happy. He was enthusiastic. It was like he was reborn, you know, because he was he was clean, and he he was showing me all the different things that he did, um, all the different like awards he got in, in, for being in rehab, and he was just really proud of himself. And I was just really proud of him. I was so happy. Like man, my friend's back, you know, because I he was my best friend. I mean, there's no secret to that. Like, he was my best friend, and I was like, I, I, my, my buddy's back, you know? And um, 
so that was a really, that was, I was so happy and, and he was just, I was so happy for him and, and he was just so, it was him again, you know? And, um, we hung out a bunch after that and is this he, when the, the chaotic show came up? The idea of working for chaotic? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, see, this was all kayfabe to me. I knew, I, I knew nothing of this. I wanted to kayfabe everybody on this. I wanted it to be a big surprise, including the boys. And Steve was all about that too. He was going to come back because I think I was the chaotic champion at the time, I believe. I think so. And um, I, I said to him, I said, do you, do you want to come wrestle? Come wrestle chaotic, man. They got good shows. They're actually really nice guys. You, you really get along well with the owner, Jamie. And they're really, really cool. I think you'd really like it. I have fun there. And and you would you'd have a blast. So I think it'd be good for you to just come back. And he's like, Well, I'll only work with you. I don't want to work with anybody else. I'll only work with you. I said, Okay, that's fine. That's great. I'll pitch it. Let's let's come up with an idea. I'll 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 talk to them and see what they think. And I was in this room when I was like was one of the this, two or three people where yep, you brought them this brought room. It up here, yeah. Yep. And uh he was gonna come back. Um I was going to issue like an open challenge or something like that in the ring. And then he was, the plan was he was going to be hanging out in the parking lot. And in Lawrence, in, which is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was just going to come in through the back as I'm issuing like an open challenge kind of thing. And he wasn't going to hang out in the back at all with the boys. Like he was just literally going to come right in the door and come in and answer the challenge. We were going to have a little pull apart or whatever. And, and Steve was going to come back and wrestle. Um, and it was the a couple of days before that he passed away. Um, so it never happened, but yeah, he relapsed um, and he passed away. He overdosed. It, it, it's very prevalent now. You, you know, anybody that's been around and read a single newspaper like heroin is yeah. huge right now. And the reason being a lot of these pain pills and stuff are just like lighter, like I don't, I guess lighter or less. I think it came down to like price. Yeah, versions of of of, yeah. of what heroin is, and so you know once you start taking so many pills a day, then it's cheaper and kind of more effective. Just start taking heroin, and you know that's so that's. I never, yeah, I I don't know, I never knew he was taking heroin. I never knew it was that bad. I I was never smartened up to that. He his parents were the ones that told me. And they said, oh, it's been heroin all along. I said, what? I, like, I didn't know that it, right. that that's what it was. Um, because it, it, they said that he was ashamed to tell me because I had told him one time, and I don't even remember saying this, but I had told him one time that if you put a needle in your arm to get high, you're a fucking loser. Like, that was, you know, and right. I was very adamant about that. I was like, you take a couple gimmicks, okay, that's cool, but you putting a fucking needle in your arm, man, come on, that's you're a fucking loser if you do that. Just some random conversation we had, and that always stuck with him, so he never wanted me to know. And I didn't know until after he was gone that that's why he was, that's the road he'd gone down. I had no idea. Crazy thing about like heroin now is like you, when you think about heroin and you think of seedy back alleys, you think of yeah. uh, you think of you know like the the absolute lowest forms of of society and and it's especially now it's it's 
not it's 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 like it's like a middle class problem. It's so much more than that. Yeah, yeah it's like, like you have you have. I mean, and now it, it's it's not just you know you think of like the junkies in in the in the in the you know the bad parts of town. It's it's the fucking soccer moms. You yeah. know, um, I yeah. coach t ball for my daughter, and we had, they literally talked to us about watch for parents who drop their kids and then go back to their car because they had like two parents the season before who were like OD'd in their cars with their kids. So it's not like this. And it all stems from, it stems yeah. from the prescription pills. And it's a hard yeah. thing to kick. Like I'm, you know, I'm, there's someone kind of close to me right now that was ha- that's having issues with that. And he's gone to rehab a couple times and still like taking stuff. And it's, it's not good. It's not easy. And then you think society's out to get you and all this other stuff. So it's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. It takes hold of your body. Yeah, it transforms yeah. you as a as a as a person. It transforms who you are and the way you act and the way you guys were describing the changes in, in Steve. I mean, I, I have I have relatives and there's an, another guy we all know um, and have wrestled with who uh, has struggled with it off and on. And I think we've all lost contact with him. But um, you know, and, and it just it does it changes it changes fundamentally who you are and your priorities. Um, yeah. It's crazy. And I'm kind of glad we talked about this. I hope, you know, people out there take it to heart. But this isn't what you want to think about when you think about Steve Bradley. You want to think about the legacy of Steve. And I think this is like the perfect place to do this uh, podcast right here because I think, I don't know if you agree, Alex, the New England Pro Wrestling Academy is basically carrying on the legacy of Steve Bradley. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Brian, I know when you named the school, you took that into consideration, right? Yeah, I mean, the whole, like, making an academy rather than a school is to me is paying homage to the Top Rope Pro Wrestling Academy because most places are schools or something along those lines. And for me, that was kind of like a little tip of the cap to, to Steve and the way his school was named. When you think about Steve's legacy, what do you think about Brian? I think of him backstage showing the Metro Men how to do the hump walk. <laughs> can, you, can you show us the hump walk? Or? I can show you guys, but they're listening oh, to right. really okay. this up. I can think uh, they could probably. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, uh, I mean, the legacy for me was how passionate he was about the business, and then when he came up with ideas or gimmicks for people, how passionate he was about trying to really make sure they understood what his vision was and his idea of it was and showing them how to do it, whether it was him gimmicking, you know, the, the <laughs> Metro Man or him doing something that Nightbreed would do or something completely different that, you know, Captain C. Webb would do to see Steve doing these gimmicks prior to shows and showing them exactly what he wanted and how and how he wanted it to get over. Uh, I mean, it goes to show how far he would go to make stuff of his work and how much he cared and loved about his product and the business in general. What about you, Alex, your friend, Steve Bradley? I see. I, I had, I had a different relationship with him. So for me, it was just, I always remember just how, like how Brian said, how giving he was and just how he always just wanted to help people. Um, like, just just how much he helped me and how much he looked out for me. He took you everywhere with him, right? Everywhere he yeah. went. Yeah. He'd get there and he'd say, Give me a give me a month or two. I'm gonna get you booked. I'm gonna get you down here. <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get them to look at you. And I'm like, Great. Thanks. I never asked him. Right. I never asked him. He always looked out for me. Um, which I'm so thankful for. But I, I think I for me it's not really the wrestling stuff that I miss. I just I miss my best friend, you know. Um 
we talked about everything, not just wrestling. It was everything, relationships, family, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think so for me, I, I, that's what I miss the most. Um, you know, wrestling, wrestling's wrestling. Oh, we had awesome times, but it's all, it's all the other stuff that I miss more than anything. Yeah, for my relationship with Steve was opposite of what Alex was. Wrestling came first for me, how I met Steve, and then we became friends and stuff afterwards. Him was him. It was they became friends, and then the wrestling stuff was there. So, I had a lot of those same conversations and different things when long car rides for postering or different stuff, just about whatever. What are you doing these days? What's this? How about this? And blah blah blah. How's your mom? How's your sister? You knew my whole family. Yeah, you know by name. He was pals with all of us. We talk about video games or his dumb fascination with fucking king of the hill for whatever reason the terrible <laughs> stuff that he liked to watch that i would make fun of him for or yeah <laughs> his terrible music that he would listen to <laughs> loving bare naked, bare naked ladies, ladies. oh yeah like <laughs> rem he's like oh, fucking new rem cd i was like what are you talking about <laughs> no one wants to know that the mofo listens to rem <laughs> i got i got he, he would uh he would make me these these cds and give them to me that you got to listen to this like what is it? He's like, you just gotta listen to it. Put it. It's like sticks or Steppenwolf, and I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't want to hear this. So terrible. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, so my early memories are him of wrestling and, and and the passion and stuff that he had for wrestling, and then, you know, I think the early memories of for Al is his him being a friend and stuff, and then yeah, the second part of of that was the opposite for each of us. Yeah, and I know Alex. I probably had. It took me a little while to contact you because I wasn't sure how open you'd be to, to talking about it. And I'm really, really happy that you decided to because I think this is going to be a great podcast for everyone yeah. to listen to. Yeah. It really... It's been great. And to see, like, it's funny we talked about the hatred of chaotic wrestling, but the profound impact that that Steve Bradley's actually had on present day chaotic wrestling which which is a staple in in new england is incredible the profound impact that clearly he's had on the wrestling industry i mean we talked about it in last episode but kurt angle one of the greatest performers in the history of this business a guy who just went into the hall of fame thought enough uh, of this man to thank him and in his hall of fame acceptance speech or to think about some of the people that brian has now trained you know who who it, it becomes this this lineage uh, yeah. with with Mercedes or you know Sasha Banks and Donovan Dijak and Biff Busick and and the kind of crazy thing for New England wrestling of how now the Steve Bradley legacy has almost like merged with the Walter Kowalski you know legacy yeah. in this place it's 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 pretty amazing it's it's you know for if you if you if you love wrestling if you love if you're passionate about it if you're you're one of us who have come up you know, in this area, it's kind of incredible. Yeah. It's, it's incredible stuff. Yeah, I, I just want to thank you guys for doing this. Um, I have been contacted so many different times by people that want to do documentaries and they want to talk to me about all kinds of different stuff. And I was just never felt that it was, it wasn't, I mean, it was all from just fans of Steve and I just never felt like I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, like his whole new England wrestling hall of fame thing. I didn't feel right about going and doing that. You threw that on my shoulders I, pretty last minute. I Yeah, because Bastard. I was like, sorry about that, Brian. No, it's fine. I, I, I love <laughs> it you, was buddy. Just, I'm it sorry. Was, I, I mean, well, my, could you say what the first thing you said in opening, your speech was? My opening line for the speech was, man, if Steve was around and you guys called him to say, hey, do you want to be in the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame? All he would have said is, Steak. <laughs> this <Yep>. is Steak. <sighs> exactly. And that's kind of why I 
last minute was like, I, I, I can't. No, I can't do it because he would have thought this was the dumbest thing in the world, and it's not, I can't do it. And it was it was too soon after, and, and all the people that wanted to talk about it and do it, I had never wanted to talk about it because it's just too soon after. And I think now, you know, I, I got a little emotional a couple of times here talking to you guys because, I mean, it's been almost 10 years, but it's still – it's a, it's a tough one, you know. It's my best friend. And I miss him. Yeah, at the heart of it, there's a, there's a fuck the wrestling stuff. There's a young man who exactly who had you know unfortunately his life gripped by an addiction that lost his life, and that's that's the most important thing. And and it's it's great for you guys, and and I appreciate it. And I know Mike does yeah. sharing that story, and 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 you know maybe it helps somebody. You know what I mean? Maybe you know. Maybe it helps somebody as a cautionary tale to. I hope it does because uh, at at the heart of it, again, it's a young man who should still be with us today, and and not only should still be making an impact here at places like this, but also should be making impacts in a guy like your life and how different your life has been just because of the giving nature of him. Yeah, I uh, really appreciate you, Alex, and you, Brian, uh, being a part of this today. Uh, I. I don't know. I'm just very, very thankful. And I really hope people uh, listen to this and kind of, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's somebody whose legacy deserves to live on and more people need to need to know about it and, and hear about it. Yeah. I, I, he's gone, but he, he's never going to be forgotten. Not forgotten. No and I, I make sure of that uh, fairly regularly during classes when I <laughs> channel my inner Steve by losing my mind and yelling and screaming at my students about things that they did wrong <laughs> and how they can help improve themselves in the ring. <laughs> yeah i'm sure he's happy about that <laughs> he's he's definitely smiling right now somewhere <laughs> absolutely thank you very much guys for Thanks, being a part of this thank you all right guys we would love your feedback about this episode every week we do something called merv griffin time that's a talk back segment where we interact with you the listener so tweet us at the wpan on twitter with your take on this week's episode your thoughts about Steve Bradley. We'd love to hear stories. We got a bunch of stories last week about Steve Bradley, like even before he got into the wrestling business from uh, you know friends of his. So we'd love to hear your stories of how Steve Bradley maybe affected uh, your life. And that would be great. So tweet us at the WPAN. Uh, use the hashtag WPAN. We'll mention you in your tweets later this week, and we really appreciate it. Uh, every Thursday, it's an all-new, all-different episode of the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing on BDA Radio. We, of course, are overhauling that podcast to give you more of what you love, the uh, discussions every week on a singular topic that you can vote on at the WPAN on Twitter. Plus, we'll still be doing the Dirt Cheat Shuffle monthly and a lot more surprises and different things coming up as well. Also, you can download past episodes of this podcast as they come off that NAI Network feed. They get added over there. So it's all on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing feed on your favorite podcast platform. Just search WPAN or you can get it all at BDARadio.com. Of course, you can interact with us here on the NAI Network through our voicemail line. Call 401-584-9726. That's 401 401- 584-WPAN. We would love to hear from you. We would love to hear your contributions to the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. So call now before you forget. Become a part of the podcast. 401-584-9726. Okay, Kingpin, it is time for this week's promo about nothing. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean? BDARadio.com. What does the BDA stand for? 
Brian's done with audio? What? Well, yeah, last week, Brian Malonis walked off the podcast halfway through recording, <laughs> leaving me to pick up the pieces with one Brian Fury. Is the Kingpin done with the WPAN and BDA radio? Oh, you walked? I just thought you walked off again. <laughs> My God. <laughs> so you're going to stick around a little while? I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to take my ball and go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of BDA Radio, that's where you'll find the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news. They break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. The Irresistible News meets the immovable tits at PTARadio.com. All right. Get it? Like I think their pro wrestling writer walked off the job. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, good golly. <laughs> Go over and check out PTARadio.com, folks. Do you, do you like immovable tits, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> that's the, you know, the, the, the implants. You know, that's... No, I don't, I don't like immovable tits. No, Mike. yeah. No, that's... that's problems there there's problems there (laughs) (laughs) good lord this went straight to the shitter okay it is the promo about nothing brian you contributed this week to the promo about nothing but not exactly oh Uh, the year was 1987 it is jim crockett promotions no relation the nwa on tbs you sent me a video just last night brian of a tag team called the New Breed. And some people out there, the more uh, classic wrestling fans, the fans of maybe the Book in the Territory podcast, might be aware of them more than some others. They were a tag team from the future. <laughs> the year 2002, to be exact. But the video you sent me, Brian, while it was good, I might have found something just a little better. Because... There are two members of this team. There's Chris Champion and there's Sean Royal. And one is clearly better at promos than the other. That would be Chris Champion. Well, I found one with just Sean Royal. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to take a listen to Sean Royal of the New Breed. This week's promo about nothing. Okay, fans, here with Sean Rawl, the new breed. And, Sean, we were talking about conspicuous by your absence here for the Superstation. Well, everybody wants to know, where's the new breed been? I'll go to a little Circle K store, give me a little uh, go juice there. Somebody, where you been? Where you been? Don't you worry about where we've been. New breed is A-OK. We went back to space for a little routine galactic work. If we didn't go back, you fat people sitting at home, well, your feet up on the couch might not be able to watch us in 2010. So don't you worry about where the new breed's been, where Chris has been. Chris is right here. Chris is fine. Everything is okay, Mr. Giovanni. Now, as far as the Rock and Roll Express goes, you guys think we left town because you scared us. You're dead wrong, pal. New breed is alive, and a little food for thought for you people at home. How do you know that you're watching me right now? I could be a mere illusion. I could be a mere illusion of space. 
How do you know that Chris Champion is not right here? Put the camera right here. Look at Chris. He could be right here in front of your eyes. Just a little food for thought. The new breed is alive and well, and will continue to reign. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Just a little food for thought, Brian. <laughs> How do you know Chris Champion's not sitting right next to you right now, Mike? <laughs> it's a mere illusion. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you haven't seen the video yet, there is no Chris Champion there. He is not standing next to one Sean Royal. <laughs> He's doing some routine galactic work. <laughs> it's routine. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that happens in 2002, Brian. You just you go in for routine. Sen- <laughs> you know what made the most sense about that promo, Mike? What's that? <laughs> Those fucking glasses. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how you'd expect somebody who talks like that to look. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the kind of, uh, you know, sunglasses we all wore way back in 2002. With the uh, actual... He said 2010. Well, he, yeah, he did say 2010, but he's... Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I guess they advanced to the future. They, uh, <laughs> they used the flux capacitor and they... Uh, Zoomed forward a little bit there. But uh, yes, the, the, the glasses, the sunglasses had actual eyes painted on them. So he looks like a complete goof, like googly-eyed asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, that might have been a better name. <laughs> googly-eyed asshole. <laughs> so he got, he got some go juice, Brian. I wonder what's in that go juice that he got at the Circle K. Uh, I don't know, but why would a guy from the future shop at the uh, Circle K? I guess when you're... Uh, in this stratosphere, you have to make do with what you have, I guess. Apparently, apparently, but th- yeah, this was a good one, Mike. This was. Uh, I'm I'm glad I helped contribute, but I'm glad you found one because this was beautiful. This was a work of art. <laughs> yeah, this Mr. Shivani. Oh, <laughs> uh, Sean Royal g- giggling the whole way through. This is one you have to go watch. Don't just listen to it on the podcast. Go. Uh, Go, go see the visual as well, because it's wonderful. Yes, if you want the full picture, find the link to the video in the description of this episode on the NAI Network. And yes, you have to see the haircut, you have to see the sunglasses, you have to see just his ridiculousness. I think we'll see more of the new breed here on the promo about nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> Sean Royal is a, a cornucopia of bad wrestling promos, I think. We'll see more of the new breed, I think, here on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. And we're going to see more of the kingpin out there because you're hitting the highways and byways, crisscrossing this great nation of ours, plying your trade as a professional wrestler. And kingpin, you got dates. I got dates, Mike. This Wednesday night. What? That one. This Wednesday night, June the 21st, I'm going to be in Malden at the Irish Club for UFO Wrestling, defending the UFO Heavyweight Championship of the Galaxy. <laughs> wow. and maybe the new breed will be in attendance. <laughs> UFO is out of this world. so Get that galactic maintenance first, Brian. <laughs> yes. And, uh, again, Slam Dance Tim Linux. Wow. Tarzan Taylor's uh, twin brother. Yeah, or son. I, I'd oh, say okay. more of his son. <laughs> okay. But... What a stupid name Slam Dance is. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's an inside joke, Mike. Oh, it's I see. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll be in Malden this Wednesday night. And of course, Saturday, I'll be at the Lowell Memorial Auditorium, international TV taping, Ring of Honor. You can get your tickets at ROHwrestling.com for that one. Also, go down to the Lowell Memorial Auditorium box office and pick up your tickets. I want to see you there. I want to see you there supporting the Kingpin. 
obviously a big going to be a big night for me, a big big chance. So uh, really looking forward uh, to that as yes. well. Help me hold up the big uh, wrestling podcast about nothing banner. <laughs> We're going to get that thing yeah. on TV. And then uh, July the 14th, I return to Chaotic Wrestling in Woburn, in Massachusetts, Mike. ChaoticWrestling.com for tickets. And then July the 15th, I'm heading out to your old stomping grounds, Mike, Western Massachusetts, Chicopee to be exact, for Pioneer Valley Pro Wrestling. I'm taking on Sexy Jesus himself, Ooh. Justin the Hammer Tunis. You know, that, that match came together. I've, I've turned on the closers twice now. I don't know if you're aware of this. I am aware but of this. <laughs> Big Bacon and, and, and Tunis are not happy with me. Uh, after I turned on him the second time, uh, Tunis challenged me on social media. I believe it was on Facebook, and I accepted immediately. So wow, you don't uh, you don't mess around, do you? I don't, I don't. And then, uh, hey, happy belated Father's Day to all the dads out there. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yesterday was Father's Day. And uh, what are you doing for your? Or what did you do at, at this point? What did you do for your dad, Mike? Well, I went over there and hung out. You didn't get him anything? Well, maybe this maybe a little gift. What'd you get him? By the time this comes out, he's already going to have received it. A Curtain Jerker WPAN t-shirt. What a great Which you present. can get at ProWrestlingTees.com slash New Age Insiders. Or you can visit Facebook.com slash the WPAN. Hit that big blue Shop Now button. It will take you right to the page in the store on Pro Wrestling Tees. You can get your own Curtain Jerker WPAN t-shirt, just like Papa Crockett. You could also have gone to whatamaneuver.net and gotten him the uh, Kingpin uh, Movable Object propaganda shirt, Mike, as well. I suppose you could have. I could <laughs> have. Yeah, but uh, let's put it over the podcast. Why not? I think that's a lovely gift. I think that's a lovely gift. Yes. And if you want to book the Kingpin, get him a gift by buying his stuff at the merch table. The way to get him to the merch table is to get him on your show. Email brianmalonis at comcast.net or DM him on Twitter at Brian Malonis. Those new t-shirts are selling like hotcakes, Mike. There we go. Everyone's wearing them. They're going to be a yeah. sea of them at Ring of Honor this coming Saturday. I sure hope so. All right. Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast with Mike Mills. MikeMills.Podbean.com, of course, as I've always said here, two podcasts a week. The Smoky Mountain Show on Sundays, the flagship show on Thursdays. I uh, really appreciate all the help Mike Mills has given us in terms of uh, you know getting some extra ears over here to the wrestling podcast about nothing. And thank you to Mike Mills. Of course, you get that podcast, Booking the Territory, wherever you get your podcasts. And checking the boots. Referee Tony S., Chip K. Fabe. Every Sunday, they are delving into the history of professional wrestling, a different topic every week. Check them out iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and you can find them on Twitter at Referee Tony S, at Chip K. CTB. The Rundown Wrestling Podcast with Adam and Jason. Really appreciate their help uh, pushing us out there and in front of their audience, and we're trying to do the same here. The Rundown Wrestling Podcast, they review the week. In wrestling, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, all the news coming out of the week. That's a Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, all the usual dilly-dills. And, of course, we hope you'll continue to listen here to the NAI Network all week long. You got your DC and Doc Talk, your Pipe Bomb with McCool and Company, your Rant with Ant, your Late Night Liam, your Indie Pop, and I'm hearing, Brian. I'm hearing things. The Inside Perspective. It's going to happen. Yeah. Time is running out in June, but I'm told there's going to be a June edition of the Inside Perspective, which may or may not involve Scotty Slade at this is point. Is there now? 
is there now? We'll see, we'll see how that goes. But keep an eye out on the uh, NAI network for not only the wrestling podcast about nothing but the inside perspective and all the other great podcasts here on the network. All right, Kingpin, we're coming back on Thursday with the wrestling podcast about nothing on BDA Radio. Search WPAN on your favorite podcast platform or you can go to BDARadio.com to find us easily. Then you can join us here next Monday for the WPAN on the New Age Insiders Network, episode 62. All right, good luck this weekend, Kingpin. Thanks, buddy. All right, and we'll see you guys all there Saturday night. Ring of Honor, TV tapings, Lowell Memorial Auditorium, Lowell, Massachusetts. Starts at 6 p.m. Come and find me. I'll be there. Till then, until next week, he is the Kingpin Brian Malonis. I'm Mike Crockett. Big ups to Mucko, and thanks for nothing. <laughs>